You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at RedeemerLondon.org. Morning, church. Sure wish I could see you. We're going to continue our our gospel foundation series, but I, I want to start in in Psalm 90 because I have just been overwhelmed um, by the by the bigness of God as I have studied this, and at the same time by the intimacy of God. Um, it's just who He is. He's not like us. <laughs> I, we do not read. Uh, I do not read as a man reading the words of a man. This is, this is God. It says in Psalm 90, verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Let's, let's just say Genesis was written 4,000 years ago. To God, who's outside of time, he did all this work of creation in, in his eyes just four days ago. Wednesday or Thursday, he did it. No big deal to him. People need to hear, church, that our God is real, that our God is relevant, more relevant than ever, more needed than ever, and our God is a perfect father. People need to hear at this time that our God is a perfect father, not like us, a perfect father who loves them and wants relationship with them today. I'll be 51 this week, and to my, to my kids, that is old. To God, I'm just an infant who's starting to eat some solid food. In his eyes, some of us are, are, are still crawling around in nappies. That is what we call them, right? And for some, he's holding our hands as, as he attempts And watches us take our first steps. That's what he sees us as. That's this God that we're reading about. Regardless of our age, we're all infants. We're all just infants in his eyes in view of eternity. Because that's what we're facing. And we know the intimacy that we have as parents with infants, don't we? And God himself shows us in his word right here today just how intimate he wants to be with his most unique creation That's us, by the way. You see, from Genesis 1-1 all the way through Genesis 2-4, every time you see the word God in in those verses, it is the Hebrew name for God, Elohim, which designates the all-powerful creator God that that, that Pete has told us about and shown us about. And he's the majestic God, Elohim, ruler over all things. If you look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 with me, It reads like this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, Elohim had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then Elohim blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The creator God, mighty ruler and designer of all things, is right here looking over His finished work at the end of the week. That's cool, isn't it? Now look at the rest of the chapter. Chapter 2, all the way through verse 25. Look at chapter 2 with me. And notice in verse 4, you see there's a change. It's not God, Elohim, Lord, creator anymore. 
It's Lord God Yahweh who's going to, that's what Yahweh's going to do. He's going to zoom in and give us an up-close and personal look at what happened on this sixth day. I'm sure it's just a coincidence, right? He's not trying to show us anything by this name change, is he? Yahweh is the personal name for God that he uses here. And it's always used in the context of God's relationship with his people. Look at verse 7. It is Yahweh, not Elohim, that breathed into man's nostrils, as Ross, told, Ross showed us, the breath of life. It is Yahweh. Look at verse 9. The Lord God, Yahweh, that makes trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in verse 15, it's Yahweh, the Lord God, who puts man in the garden to work it and take care of it. Yahweh, being a perfect father God of this first man, takes his responsibility as we should, for the moral and spiritual direction of his family. He takes it seriously. And man, this is the model that Yahweh wants us to see today for our marriages. This perfect fellowship that we see between this Lord God and his first beloved creation, Adam, this is what God desires to have with all of us. Whether you're watching this single whether you're watching this married, this, this is a picture. What we're seeing today is a picture of this fellowship, this intimacy that this Father God wants with us, Yahweh. So let's take a look. Genesis 2, 18 says this. The Lord God, this Yahweh. It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. God looks at his first creation here. And for the first time in scriptures, God said something is not good. Everything that God had made in the first five days, everything, all of it was good. And he looks at it. I'm going to run through him. In chapter 1, verse 4, he saw the light was good. In chapter 1, verse 10, he saw the second day and it was good. Chapter 1, verse 12, he saw the third day and he saw it was all good. In verse 18 of chapter 1, he saw that all the created on the fourth day, all he created was good. Chapter 1, verse 21, he saw all the creatures he created on the fifth day, and it was good. Chapter 1, verse 25, he saw all the animals that were created on the sixth day, and he said it was good. And in verse 31 of chapter 1, after he made his greatest creation, us, he saw them, and it was very good. But as the Lord God allows us to zoom into his creation here in, in chapter 2 this morning, this loving relational God says, I got to do more. It's not my best for him. It's not good for him to be alone. So what does he do? Boom, he creates woman, right? No. Here, here's an example. What we see here is an example of God's perfect timing for your life. Perfect timing for my life. He provides what we need just when we need it. My mentor in ministry, Stephen Davies, pastor of Shepherd's Church in the States, he had this to say about this verse. So God, in his perfect timing, plans to create a woman. What I like about God is his timing. He didn't rush up to Adam and say, Adam, you need a wife. I'm going to create one for you. Adam would have said, I, I need a What? He would have had no idea. God wants us to trust him. His design for our lives, his timing is always best. So instead of immediately 
providing companion for him. Look what God does first. Read with me in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. One theologian, theologian excuse me, David Atkinson, he had this to say about Adam's work in naming the animals. By giving names to the animals, Adam is doing two things. He's beginning to order his world. And in this, Adam is reflecting something of this image of God, which was described in Genesis 1 as God giving Adam dominion over the rest of creation. Adam is here exercising his God-given authority over the rest of the created order. This responsibility to, to, to steward over the natural order of the animal world is given to mankind. It's taken on here by Adam. And verse 28 shows us he, he did a good job. You see, Adam named hundreds of animals. Way to go, Adam. That a boy. And it seems that he did it well. Stephen Davies says that the original text here, the implication gives us that he gave the names that matched their characteristics. Adam brilliantly named all the animals according to their nature. But even after this satisfying work, there's a problem that Yahweh's revealing to Adam in all of this. There's a problem that he wants to show him in all of this. Adam is looking around after naming a few hundred animals and he's seeing all of them go off with companions. And he finds himself alone. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. This is Yahweh, this relational, loving God, showing Adam that just as us, we were created for relationship. Starting with our relationship with God, we need God. You need God. You can't do this alone. Do you have that? Do you have that? A personal relationship with God today. Do you have that? Because he wants that. He wants that with you. And he wanted Adam to see his need for that. You see, we love what we create. God loves us. David Atkinson, is in his commentary, he says here, personal communion is what the image of God is about. And not only between man and God, but between man and the rest of his environment, especially his fellow human beings. Atkinson goes on to speak of the isolation and the loneliness that exists as screens dominate our lives in the digital age as we know it. He wrote this in 1990. That's like ancient history, right? The fact that we can do this, virtual church right now, and still have a sense that we're gathering around God's word, it's a blessing from God. But just like God wants more for Adam, he wants more than this for us. I can't wait till we can gather again. We were made to be together. God made us to be with each other. And don't forget, don't forget this, church. God, God shows the world his love by how we love each other. So at this point in creation, when Adam is lonely and he needs companionship, God could have easily created another man. 
perfect, in God's perfect design for his first created man, he creates woman to unite with him in marriage. You see, God's one and only design for marriage is a marriage covenant between a man and a woman. And in verse 21, we see the reason women are clearly the better looking of the created beings. Look at verse 21 and 22 with me. So the Lord God, it says, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Stephen Davies says this, the word translated fashioned or made, if you have that in verse 22, the Lord God fashioned or made is different from what was used when God formed man. This word is a beautiful Hebrew word. It can be translated sculptured. How cool is that? It's as if God, as any master who would paint a beautiful portrait, knelt over that rib, that flesh and bone of the rib, and sculpted a beautiful woman, one who would become the counterpart of Adam. You see, men, we were just made. Ladies, you were sculpted. But let us be clear what God sets in this foundation. This suitable helper, this woman, she's no subordinate to the man. She's no assistant to the man. No, God designed the perfect counterpart, the perfect companion for man. She's equal in value before God, equal in importance before God. And while men are clearly called to be accountable for the moral pattern of our family, God calls us to account for that. Please hear this about the meaning of this suitable helper, this Hebrew word called ezer. Kathy Keller, who authored a book with her husband, Tim, called The Meaning of Marriage. Please, please read that if, you, if you're married. She says this, ezer, this Hebrew word, is almost always used in the Bible to describe God himself. Other times it's used to describe military help with which, without which a battle would be lost. Men, we are losing. We're losing out in the battle for God's best in our marriage because we're not leading these mighty companions that God has given us like God designed us to lead. I'm going to be ridiculously simple here. Years ago as a coach, as a basketball coach, I, I, stopped, uh, I stopped nominating captains for my teams. Why? Because every time I made a young man a captain, the next day he just started yelling at people. That was his idea of leadership. You see, Jesus doesn't call us to puff out our chest and point our finger in leadership. We'll see in a second in, in John 15, he calls us to get on our knees. That's how God calls us to lead. And in John 13, excuse me, in John 13, he Jesus gives us a model for that. This is how we're supposed to lead. John 13, this is the last time Jesus is going to be with his guys. It's the last time he's been looking to this, this day for a long time. And he says, it says this, it says in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He had all the power of God right now. And then he'd come from God and was returning to God. So what did he do with all that power? What did he do? 
He got up for the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them. I love this, this intimate detail, drying the feet with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus says, this is what it looks like to lead. This is your example. He actually says in verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I had never seen this before this morning. In verse 17 that you don't have, it's okay. It says you will be blessed if you do this. Not they will be blessed. Men, you will be blessed. Leaders, you will be blessed if you do this. This is what it looks like to lead in your home. We're to bear the image of Jesus, the perfect groom in our homes. He's our model. Kathy Keller says this. A woman can have no fear in submitting to a man whose idea of authority is to be a servant, to die for her. God sets the bar high for us, men. When he says in Ephesians 5, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, Jesus loved and obeyed the Father God first, even to his death. Men and women, the better your relationship is with God, better your marriage will be. The better your relationship is with God, the better your relationship with your marriage will be. As Pete told us in chapter one, it all starts with God. As we close here today, I want to invite you into this first marriage in Genesis 2, 23 through 25. It says this. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Here's the picture that we've seen hundreds of times in weddings. The doors to the wedding ceremony open. The bride is there and she's in all her glory, right? The whole church, all the people are gathered. The music starts playing and, and all the church turns, right? They turn to look at the bride, walk down the aisle. I've officiated a lot of weddings and this is my absolute favorite part of the wedding. Because while all the eyes are locked on to the woman walking down the aisle, my eyes go directly to the man. Why? Because every one of them, their eyes, are, their, their, their eyes are like this and their mouths are like this as they look at this bride. And almost all of them cry. My favorite one ever was this young man who started weeping so loudly, everybody could hear it. And then he shouted loudly, she's beautiful for everybody to hear. This is Adam in verse 23. And he's saying, yes, 
At last, the time has come. I have a companion. And wow, look at her. This is Adam. And then we have this next symbolic moment that's portrayed in 22b when it says, look at 22b, he, Father God, brought her to the man. Stay with me in this, in this wedding picture. The groom is still conscious. <laughs> he, he made it. And, 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 and the bride has arrived at the front with her and they're standing there. And at this point in the wedding, I have to remind the father. She's still with the father who walked her down the aisle. I have to remind the father a lot of times, okay, this is the part where, 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 where you give her a kiss and you pass her over to him. And sometimes I have to remind the groom, like, go get her. Take her hand. Like, bring her before me here. This, this point in the ceremony, I'll also have, them, I'll have, I'll have the couple take a, take a step up to signify signify what this, this covenant that they're about to enter into before God, what it looks like. And verse 24 gives us this covenant. That's why a man, it says in verse 24, leaves his father and mother and he's united to his wife and they become one flesh. So, so before the bride and groom ever turn to one another and make vows, they need to understand what we need to understand e- e- even now. When it says in verse 24, leave father and mother and cleave, hear this please, be united maybe in your verse. This word cleave or be united is a, is a covenant term. A number of theologians, theologians note that this word cleave can literally be translated weld. How about that? You see, when both a husband and a wife know and trust that the fire escape, the back door to their marriage is welded shut, that you're together for life, this is the beginning of God's best for marriage. I'll speak to men here because the scriptures bear out that we will be accountable before God for how we've encouraged our wives in the faith. The first commitment in marriage is your individual relationship with God, men. The stronger your desire is to know God, the healthier your marriage will be. The second commitment is to your spouse's relationship with the Lord. Make sure that you're making time for her to pursue a relationship with God. Encourage it. Share what you're learning. Pray verbally with her that God would help you encourage her. The third commitment is between you and your spouse. And while your relationship with God comes first, there's no more important relationship on the face of the earth than your relationship with your wife. So I ask this question to us, men. Does your wife know that she's the most important human being on the planet to you? Does your life bear out that after your relationship with God, there's nothing and no one more important to you than your wife. You hear me pausing today because in view of a mighty, holy God who set the bar so high for us as men, well, as people, what he wants us to see is our need for him. What he wants to see is our love for him needs to come first. And oh, what he wants to see is his great love for us. What he was showing Adam, God wants to show all of us today. No matter where you're at today, married or single, do you know 
Do you know that God loves you more than any human being will ever love you? Do you know that he formed you and sculpted you exactly how he wanted to? Do you know that you can never do anything to make God love you any less? Do you know that God desires an intimate, personal relationship with you like we see in marriage? That is why it says that the woman and the man in verse 25 at the end of this passage, that's why it says they felt no shame. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt in a relationship with God. They were in relationship with a perfect God. They're in relationship with a perfect father. And as we finish, I want to point you to another marriage that is coming for all of us. That's the picture we're supposed to see here. You see, there's another marriage at the end of the Bible. And we're not going to look at it today, but it signifies that day when every created being, everybody watching, everybody you'll see today will stand before God. Remember when we talked about the woman walking down the aisle? That is you right now, maybe single, maybe married, it doesn't matter. God the Father is watching you walk down the aisle of your life. That's what we're supposed to see today. And when you get to the end of your life, when you get to the altar, only one thing will matter when we stand before God. Do you know the groom? You see, Jesus, all through the scriptures, is called the groom. He's called the bridegroom. He's the perfect groom. And he's there. And God's watching you walk down the aisle of your life. And you stand there. All of us, men and women, you stand there. You'll stand there one day. And the only way we can stand there with no shame or no guilt, no regret, is if we know Jesus. The only way we can be ushered up into eternal relationship and fellowship with this guy, which he is certainly calling us back into, is if we know the groom. It says in Matthew 7 about that day when we'll stand before God. It says that Jesus will be there. And it says that he'll say to many on that day, get away from me, I never knew you. John 14, 6 says that no man comes to the Father but through Jesus. No groom marries a bride that he doesn't know. You have to know Jesus. And he wants to know you today. But oh, to feel the love and know the love of God through a right relationship with Jesus. That's where we leave this scene today, Adam and Eve. They knew right relationship with God. The one true groom, Jesus, is waiting for that kind of relationship with you. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Make sure you're united with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you give us a design for life. Thank you that you're not like us. Lord, I pray that as I am surely stirred, that we would be stirred by your love, by your design, by your plan. And that they would know you, that we would know you through a relationship with Jesus, all who watch this in Christ's name. Amen.